I want to welcome all you basketball fans. Glad you are here tonight. Admittedly, one of the tougher Sunday nights of the year for a preacher. Uh, usually a thinner crowd. And as Steve mentioned, uh, we've had a full, full day. So completely understandable why some people have opted to go home and rest. But to thank you for being here. As we endeavor on Sunday nights to discuss God's amazing grace, we're looking at the stories of God's favor, God's um, unmerited favor toward people, men and women, in the Old Testament and the New. As we go through on Sunday nights, that's what we're doing. And tonight we're going to be in Genesis chapter 6. If you want to follow along, that's where we'll be. As you turn there, I'd like to ask you, can you think of a time... When favor worked in your favor, uh, when you, just because of circumstances or perhaps a relationship, maybe it was a teacher in school who <clears throat> you were a, a helper for, or maybe they just, for whatever reason, liked you really well, and they would give you extra privileges that maybe not afforded to all the other students. Maybe it was a coach who was uh, extra influential and, and just gave you some great tips and some opportunities that you hadn't had before. Uh, if you're employed, maybe it's a, a boss who gave you uh, some vacation or some leniency that you didn't technically earn or deserve, but because of your relationship or because of uh, the, the uh, connection that you had, your boss showed you some special favor. When I think of times of being showed unmerited favor, probably most of the time uh, that has been shown to me behind a steering wheel uh, with another car behind me with red and blue lights on. Uh, Many times, justice uh, demanded that I receive a speeding ticket, Uh, but instead I was shown mercy and grace by police officer. James, I thank you and, and for those of your brotherhood that have shown me so much unmerited favor. Tonight, our story is about a man who received the unmerited favor of God, and the favor that he received was truly a blessing to all of us. The man's name is Noah, and as we look at his story in Genesis chapter 6, verses 1 through 8, hopefully we can not only learn about Noah, but maybe learn some lessons for ourselves as well. Genesis chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. When man began to multiply on the face of the land, the land, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were attractive. And they took as their wives any that they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be a hundred and twenty years. Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him in his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and the birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. The first thing that we see 
is that the world was regressing. Uh, I know it's easy to look around in our world today and become discouraged by just listening to the news. Uh, however, whatever form you receive it in, think, man, it's really bad. It seems like as bad as it's ever been. I'm not sure that's the case. I think actually in reality we tend to look on the past romantically with nostalgia and begin to view it as better than perhaps it really was. I think in many ways uh, the world, uh, because of you and I and uh, all of us of Adam's race, have uh, in different ways and yet very much the same made it a place full of evil. We've allowed evil into the world. Uh, There's the... As we look at verses kind of 1 through 5, man began to multiply in the face of the, of the land, and daughters were born to them. The sons of God saw that the daughters of men were attractive, and they took wives as they chose. The Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. And then speaks of the Nephilim. Uh, the, uh, in those days, the sons of God came into the daughters of men and bore children. These were the mighty men who were men of old. The men of renown. Okay. The first question, uh, especially I can remember this as a freshman at Oklahoma Christian and taking my Genesis Bible class, and that was what we all wanted to know. What was the sons of God and the daughters of men? What was that all about? Was that men uh, uh, multiplying with angels and having children by them? No, I don't really think that was the case. In fact, I think it's much more serious than that. Genesis, uh, to understand a, a little bit of what this is talking about, Genesis speaks in, in many places of this kind of dichotomy, these two sides of things. When you look at chapter 1, uh, there's light and dark. When you look at chapter 2, there's Adam and Eve. When you look at chapter 3, there's God and Satan. When you look at chapter 4, there's Abel and Cain. When you look at chapter 5, there's Seth and Cain, after Cain kills Abel. And in all of these, you see this uh, these kind of weighing of good versus evil. And I think that's very important for us to understand, and not that a Sunday night crowd would not understand that, but understanding this dichotomy helps us when we look at Genesis chapter 6 and we see the sons of God and the daughters of men. I think the sons of God were the descendants of Seth, the righteous people, uh, people who sought God and were seeking to do his will, seeking to walk by faith, we might say, seeking to do the things which he commanded them under that patriarchal age to do. And the daughters of men, I would say, are the descendants of Cain, uh, those who uh, were tempted by evil and so often uh, acquiesced to it. Uh, did the, the things which they thought were right in their own eyes instead of worrying about what God wanted. So essentially we have another dichotomy. The descendants of Seth, the righteous people, and the descendants of men, uh, Cain, the descendants of Cain, the wicked people. Now, <clears throat> admittedly, uh, in, um, check this verse here. Um, Verse 5, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on earth, and it grieved him to his heart. 
So we have this dichotomy, but <clears throat> what about verse 5? Boy, it seems like um, between good and evil, between the descendants of, of Cain and the descendants of Seth, evil seems to be prevailing. Um, and what is happening is it's not good overcoming evil. It's good compromising with evil. And that's always a problem. Anytime good compromises with evil, what always, always happens is that evil prevails. Um, uh, I have this visual in mind, so I'll do a little visual tonight. Um, if we use this vessel, this empty vessel, to represent the world of that day or the world of really any age, um, and I want to compare these two, this dichotomy, the good and the evil, okay? Um, when you have good, which is represented by clear water, uh, not the city, but just the water, and then, I'm sorry to do this, I really do like Coca-Cola, but if we say these are the descendants of Cain, the evil in the world, um, and I did this because, not because it's fizzy necessarily, but because it's dark colored. Okay, if we have this group of evil, and uh, it's in this vessel, okay, and as good, the descendants of Seth begin to intermarry with the descendants of Cain, um, what you have here is a mixing of the two, of light and darkness. And what the people listening to the podcast will be unable to tell because this is a purely visual demonstration, is that though you pour way more good into the evil, what you really have down, you still have a great influence of evil in the world. This is what grieved the heart of God. It's what grieves the heart of God today. There are good people in the world. There are good men and women who seek to do what's right. But when they compromise their values, when they allow themselves to be compromised, what you have is not the prevalence of good, but a prevailing of evil. Maybe that's what was happening in that world. I think that is what broke the heart of God. And not just then, by the way, but in our world today as well. The second thing that's happening is the Lord was regretting. Verse 5, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made and uh, if I were to continue with the visual, God's going to empty the vessel. But um, that might bother some people who are worried about the carpet. So I'll let you just visualize that in your mind. A natural question that arises here is, did God make a mistake? Did God do something um, that was unright? No, God didn't make a mistake. We did. God gave us free will. And free will, as we said this morning, is risky. Um, if you certainly have children, grandchildren, you understand. 
You can love someone greatly, but their choices can break your heart. And uh, so, no, God did not make a mistake. Uh, And furthermore, God made us in his image. And there's tremendous power in that. And God knew, knows our seemingly limitless potential. Uh, there is, it's amazing the things that mankind can do for good when he wants to. Uh, but there are seemingly no bounds, no bottom, no limit to the depths of our depravity when we wander away from God. Uh, the story that broke my heart this weekend, and probably yours too, was the story of an a employee at the YMCA raping a four-year-old girl. It is things like that that, boy, it makes it hard to really want to stay in this world. And you just think, man, um, how does it get that bad? Well, I think the answer is sin. With sin, it's always been that bad. Um, it, it, bad things like that have happened and even worse things. And that grieved God. All sin grieves God. We're squandering his good gift of life, his beautiful gift of creation, and exchanging it for something that will hurt us, for something that will make things worse. I love what C.S. Lewis said about this. He said, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea, we are far too easily pleased. I think this breaks the heart of God when we sell short what God has in mind for us and instead pursue evil and sin. Now, he wants to blot out uh, man from the earth. The water would, as water always does, tends to have a cleansing effect. It would clean the world of sin and really the source of sin, you and I. In First Peter chapter 3, verse 20, the apostle says this, <clears throat> and he's speaking on a larger message in the context of grace and mercy and God's judgment. But in looking at verse 20, he says, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Noah was different than the world around him, and unlike so many who had broken the heart of God, Noah was a righteous man who loved him, and wanted to do what was right. And God used Noah's life as a vessel. I know you think it was the ark. Uh, that's the prominent vessel. But the real vessel was Noah and his faith in the Lord. And his willingness to defy the world's wisdom. To defy the world's behavior and set the right kind of example. I don't believe Noah allowed himself and certainly didn't want his family to be compromised or to compromise in any way with evil. So the, the world was regressing. It wasn't 
heading toward the potential that God created it with. And the Lord was regretting that, not because he had done something wrong, but because of our poor choice. But Noah found favor with God. In verse 9, which we didn't read, the description of Genesis 6, these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. Obviously, Noah was different. How so? In, In a multitude of ways. First, he acted in faith. He did what was right, and who defined what was right was not anyone else but the Lord himself. He was a righteous man, and righteous not by his standard or anyone else's standard, but by God's alone. I would imagine uh, that Noah at times was afraid, fearful of what ways in which he might be ostracized or made fun of, and possibly and certainly having in mind his wife and his children. But he did what was right, and even when God called him to do something that maybe he didn't even fully understand, living in a world that by every measure that we understand didn't probably have rain or experience storms like we have, like we do on a regular basis. This was a world much different from our own. And so he likely didn't understand exactly what God was doing. But he didn't have to understand. He was obedient, he was righteous, and he did the right thing despite his lack of understanding. Also, he was uncommon. Uh, The scripture says he was a righteous man, and probably to an exceptional degree. Um, Speak now to our youth group. Um, Noah would not have been concerned with who was doing what on social media. He would not have been concerned with Instagram or Twitter or Snapchat. Um, If you think about all of social media, which I use and and, uh, think it has its place, but the danger in it is you're constantly concerned with what everyone else is doing. And the danger in that is being worried and letting other people decide the standard for how you live and for what you do. So if that had those tools had been available to uh, to Noah, which is um, you know definitely of all the selfie moments in the world, the one from the ark would have been the best. Um, but Noah was not concerned with that. He was holy. He was set apart, uncommon. Unusual. Um, Peter again says concerning this story, Second Peter chapter two verse five. If God did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. Um, I used to be sort of. I, I used to just despise the word weird. But the older I get, the more I kind of like that badge. And, and I think it's weird in the way of that person's different from the world that he lives in, the world that she lives in. I hope perhaps you get tagged with that label. Uh, weird, unusual, different. <clears throat> 
because it's, it, it's a marker of someone who stands apart. I think Noah was a weird guy going against the grain of the world that he lived in. The most important person that Noah was concerned with pleasing was not his children, was not his friends and associates, not even his wife. Noah was most concerned with pleasing the Lord. Now, I will say that Noah was a family man. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7, I I love this description of Noah. Now, Hebrews 11, of course, famous faith chapter. And verse 7 says, By faith, Noah, when warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Noah built the ark because he had holy fear of the Lord. He understood who God was and who he was, and he had a holy, reverent fear. And, and I, you know, in talking about holy fear, I think that's something that sometimes we set the bar a little low. Um, when speaking of fear, you'll often hear someone say, well, it's really about respect. It's about uh, respecting the Lord. I think it's more than that with Noah. I mean, there, was, there was a fear because of the holiness and the reverence and the power of God. Most any prophet or person that's had the experience of a, a, a close encounter with the Lord, there is a fear always mentioned in the passage. I believe his holiness strikes fear into our unholy hearts. And so holy fear is not a bad thing at all. In fact, it likely motivates us. Um, I won't ask for a show of hands, but if you think about your own walk with Christ, what was it that motivated you to believe in Christ, to trust Christ, and to put him on in baptism? If you're like me, it was holy fear. I remember not, uh, uh, I think I've told this story before, but the the morning that I was so determined that I wanted to put the Lord on in baptism, I had been asked by my mother to wait because she was working, and she wanted me to wait till Sunday night. And I can remember the invitation song, Sunday morning, uh, almost tears in my eyes, knowing that the Lord Jesus Christ was coming back between Sunday morning and Sunday night, and I wasn't going to make it. Well, we can laugh at the the heart of a 12-year-old, but that was holy fear. And that's the kind of fear that Noah had in his life. He feared the Lord reverently. He loved the Lord, but he feared him, and he, and he wanted so much for his family to know the Lord. And for his wife to know the Lord. And I'm convinced because he was a herald of righteousness. That he had a heart for the world around him. That would soon be lost. I remember one time after a sermon kind of speaking about heaven and hell and eternity. um, A lady came up who's very mission hearted. And she just had tears in her eyes. And she just said, thank you for that message. It just breaks my heart. That there's a world of suffering people that shouldn't have to suffer. And a world of people going to hell that shouldn't have to go there. And it broke her heart. I mean, it was, it was that holy fear of the Lord 
that motivated her to do the, the missions um, because she, at the center of her heart, was God's heart. And at the center of God's heart are his people. And so I think Noah was a weird guy, but he was a herald of righteousness, which meant that he was a preacher. So um, preached to the world around him. Likely that message was not well received. But, <clears throat> of course, we know how the story ended, so no one else was on the ark. Um, the definition of success, then, is not always how the crowd responds. The definition of success is obedience, faithfulness, and holy fear. So let us then follow Noah's example and consider how his example can be ours. First, we've got to live by faith. Noah did not, would not see the flood, the result of all of the evil in the world, until it began to rain. But God told him about it, and he believed God. Hebrews 11.6, a well-known verse, Without faith it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Now, it's no coincidence in my mind that the next verse is verse 7, which speaks about Noah in holy fear built an ark to save his family. It's the, one of the first uh, best examples of faith in a world that was faithless. May we live by faith in such a world. I know it looks bad, and there are parts of this world that are very bad. But when the, dark is, when the darkness seems to prevail, it's the greatest opportunity for the light. Number two, <clears throat> I hope you'll dare to be different, to live a, a weird life, a, the peculiar, an unusual, different. First Peter 2.9, he writes, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. You see those adjectives there, those descriptors that say you're special, you're unique, you're called to be different. And not to be common, not to be like everybody else. Um, weird is a nice little compliment, like Noah and like many others like him. And finally, we need to get ready. Because there's a day like Noah's coming. Uh, different in that instead of water, it's going to be a judgment of fire. Jesus said, just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the coming of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. We need to be ready. Noah was ready because he believed God. Well, the question is the same for us. Do we believe God? Are we willing to, to look ahead to a day that's coming that will be unlike any other day in the history of the world? Will we by faith believe that that day is coming and that as we stand today, we're closer now than we've ever been to it? But we have the opportunity to follow Noah's example. The Lord's grace to Noah was really grace to all of us because, because he saved Noah and his family. Because of Noah's faith, his righteousness, and his reverent fear of the Lord, he became the vessel through which our world is saved. All of us, descendants of Adam, but really descendants of Noah. If he hadn't been faithful, perhaps the world would have been entirely wiped out. Someday the Lord will destroy it all again in a different way, 
but yet in a similar way to Noah. And finally, we understand that our salvation now will not be through Noah, but through Jesus, who is the true and better Noah, the one man through who the world can be saved from God's judgment. One final verse from Second Peter chapter 3, and we'll close tonight. Second Peter chapter 3, verses 5 through 8, For they deliberately overlook this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God, and that by means of these the world that then existed was deluged and with water and perished. But by that same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the day with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years are as one day. God's perspective on time is much different than ours, but we are closer to that day than we've ever been. If you are not ready for that final day, You've been given a gift of grace by tonight. And if you are ready to respond to the gospel invitation, I'll be happy to help you uh, know Christ, to know who he is, and to learn about what he's done for you. And if you know that and you're ready in faith and obedience, in holy fear and reverence of the Lord, put him on in baptism. I hope that you will do so tonight. Or if you need any other help, uh, whatever need you might have, please come as together we stand and sing.